What kind of news captures your attention? Maybe, maybe it's sports. Maybe some celebrity story. Well, occasionally, sometimes a news story is so inspiring or so interesting that it breaks through and captures the world's attention. What kind of news usually captures the world's attention? It's usually bad news, right? How many of us in the last week or two had a conversation about OceanGate or saw a video about how ChatGPT is going to steal all of our jobs? Well, occasionally, rarely, um, a news story breaks through that's not, it doesn't strike fear, it doesn't bring sadness, but instead it inspires us to live. That's what we're going to see today in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to see that in God's word, that uh, this encouraging story about real people um, that the whole world took notice of. If you have your Bibles with me, or if you have your Bibles with you today, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's where we'll be. If you don't know me, my name's Carson. I serve as a pastoral assistant for the church. I've been a member here for a few years, um, and I'm excited to preach to you today from God's Word. You know, we haven't been in a New Testament letter for a while. Let me give you a few tips before we jump in. New Testament letters, we need to keep in mind the timing uh, we've been in Proverbs semi-recently. Proverbs was written a thousand years before Christ. We've been in John recently. John was l- written during the life of Christ. But a book like 1 Thessalonians was written after Christ's life and death and resurrection. And so we need to kind of take that in mind um, as we read it. It's looking backwards at, at Christ. Keep in mind also the genre. You know, this isn't poetry like Proverbs. It's not a historical account like the book of John. It's a letter. And it's not a letter addressed to us. It's to someone else. And so we need to remember, as we read this, that we're reading somebody else's mail. And the last thing to keep in mind, that even though it's not addressed to us, this letter, that it is for us. God reminds us in his word in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. All right, I hope that helps us as we dive into God's word today. Please follow along as I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we hear from you this morning, this afternoon, I mean. Lord, I pray that your grace would be evident in me as I preach. Lord, we pray that you'd help us all to hear you today, not just with our ears, not just in our minds, but Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear you with our hearts. And Lord, may Christ be glorified, we pray. Amen. Amen. The main point that I want us 
to get from this passage today is this. Give thanks to God for gospel fruit. Give thanks to God for gospel fruit. You know, there's a lot in this letter. There's a lot of things we could talk about, but that's what I think the main idea is, to give thanks to God for gospel fruit. And really through this whole letter of 1 Thessalonians, we'll see Paul and Silas and Timothy just wanting to encourage the people of Thessalonica, this church there, and to show their love for them. And here in the first chapter especially, we'll see the gospel taking root in the Thessalonians and the fruit that their faith is bearing in their church and in the region around them. Paul intends to encourage the Thessalonians by giving thanks to God for gospel fruit, and I want us to walk away encouraged and giving thanks to God for gospel fruit. This letter begins like most letters in the New Testament, with the exception of Hebrews and 1 John. There's always the author and then who he's writing to or who they are writing to. So who's this letter from? It's from Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Silvanus, also known as Silas, and Timothy were with Paul as this letter was written. But they didn't all grab a hold of, you know, the ink quill at the same time and write this letter. Um, we can consider this letter sort of their collaboration, but through the hand of Paul. And uh, I say that for a couple reasons. One, this letter has a lot of similarities to other letters from Paul. But there's also a few times where Paul slips an I in there. So one example would be um, chapter 2, verse 18. Paul says, I, Paul, again and again. Okay, so it's written from Paul, Silas, and Timothy by the hand of Paul. Who is it written to? It's written to the church of the Thessalonians. Um, the Thessalonians are what you call people from Thessalonica. It's a city. It's still a city today. It's the second largest city in the country of Greece. But then when this was written, about 80, 50, or 51... Um, Thessalonica was the capital city of a Roman province called Macedonia. It was a large port city by the Aegean Sea. Uh, it was full of idol worshipers, full of people who worshipped Greek and Roman gods and even worshipped the emperor. And Paul's writing to the church there, and you know, if you flip back to Acts 16, I can show you how this church got started. So in Acts 16, Timothy joins up with Paul and Silas. He's just a young disciple. A little later on in 16, Paul has a vision. That section there is called the Macedonian call in a lot of Bibles. So Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia calling him to come and bring the gospel. And so the three of them set off to go to Macedonia, and they stop first in Philippi. And there they see some people come to Christ, but they also see some persecution, and they're beaten, and they're thrown in prison. But they're eventually released and sent on their way. And now in chapter 17 of Acts, we see that they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So Jews and a great many Greek men and women. But then look what it says. It says the Jews were jealous and long story short, those jealous Jews formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar, and they accused this new church of looking to another king. Instead of the emperor, they were worshiping Jesus, King Jesus. And so they accused them of that, and in order to protect Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the Thessalonian church sent them away um, by night to Berea. You can see that in verse 10. So now we have a good picture of what it was like for the Thessalonians when they received the gospel. And we can also imagine what it was probably like, what it was like after Paul, Silas, and Timothy left. They were still facing persecution. 
because of their new allegiance to King Jesus. But despite that, they were still gathering as a church uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here it says, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And with all that context in mind, uh, Paul calls them the church of the Thessalonians. And when he does that, he doesn't mean that it's the church of one ethnicity, like the church of the Tanzanians or the church of the Emiratis or something like that. He's calling them a church because they were a group of baptized believers who were assembling together in a particular place. And that place happened to be Thessalonica. It was actually a church of people from all different kinds of backgrounds, not just one background. Their allegiance to Christ makes them Christians, and their local commitment to one another makes them a church, the church of the Thessalonians. And that's not too different from us, is it? We're Christians because our greatest allegiance isn't our family name, it's not our ethnic background, it's Jesus. And we're a church because we're committed not just ambiguously to Christians all over the world, but we're committed especially and intentionally to one another here. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are thankful for this church, and the rest of this chapter tells us why, verses 2 through 9. And in these last nine verses, I want you to do three things, to be encouraged, to be imitators, and to be examples. So be encouraged, verses verses 1 through 5, be imitators, verse 6, be encouraged, verses 7 through 10. First, be encouraged. In these first five verses, we see all kinds of kind words from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, don't we? The very first words in verse 2 are, we give thanks to God. That's not a command from Paul for them to give thanks. It's simply him expressing how he feels in regard to the Thessalonian believers. He's thankful for the work that God has done in them. But is this just a thank you card? Or is this just an entry from Paul's gratitude journal? I don't think so. I think Paul's purpose here in saying that is to encourage and build up the Thessalonians. He's saying, we see God's work in you. We see the way that you received the word and affliction with joy. We know God has chosen you, so so be encouraged. Well, when you look around our church, do you feel encouraged? Do you notice things like that happening here in the lives of others? What about other churches? When you think about other churches in our city or elsewhere, do you see God's grace in other churches that preach the gospel? I want to suggest that being spiritually encouraged by others often takes initiative. When we don't see things worthy of thanksgiving, it might just be because we're not looking. And if someone doesn't feel encouraged, it might just be because we're not saying anything. Let's look at what Paul says in verse 2. Paul says, They give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in their prayers. Always, all of you, constantly. They're praying without ceasing for all of, the, all of the saints in the Thessalonian church. And one simple way that we can be encouraged and encourage one another is by praying, praying for one another. And not just for those that we're closest with, not just for those that we like the most, not even for those that we think need the most help. We want to pray for always for all of you, like Paul's doing here. If you're like me, it might be hard to remember all the things, all the people that you want to pray for. Like when I pray for my immediate family, it's not too hard. I can remember all of their names. There's only four of us. But if I pray for our church, that's 127 members, plus others that come visit us on Sundays. If I go by memory alone, I'm going to leave out some of you. But we shouldn't let our imperfect memories keep us from praying for each other. We should find ways that we, can, that we can do this. We could do it 
maybe by getting flashcards and trying to memorize everybody in a certain way. Maybe we could make up a song to keep track of everybody that we want to pray for. But I think a, a great way to pray for all of the saints in our church, and you probably know what I'm going to say, is to pray through the membership directory. They're all there. And there's even lists of things that you can pray for one another. But it takes discipline as well, right? You can have a copy of this and still neglect to pray for all the saints. But even if you just pray for one person a day, five days a week, you could pray through the whole church by the end of the year. You could pray first thing in the morning. You could pray during a one-minute stretch break at your office. But don't neglect to remember one another in prayer. Not only does God delight to answer our prayers for each other, he uses it as a means of encouragement. As an added application for us, um, we can also pray for other churches. You know, Paul is writing this letter, I don't think I've said, after he moved on from Thessalonica, he eventually made his way down to Corinth, and he's likely writing this letter from there. But he's looking back at his previous church. Paul was only in Thessalonica for about three weeks, three Sabbath days, after, until he was chased out by the jealous Jews. And even though he was only there for that short period of time, that didn't stop him from praying. And that should challenge us, I think. You know, if, if God answered yes to all of our prayers, everyone here in this room, if God answered yes to all of our prayers, for other churches, would Dubai be a different place? Do you think if God answered yes to all of our prayers for other churches, do you think the world would be changed? Church, let's pray for God to do mighty things in other churches as well as our own. Let's pray for him to make other churches more and more holy, more and more centered on the gospel, more and more loving towards one another. And if you've had a, maybe a bad experience at a church in the past, um, it might feel a little bit more like praying for your enemies than it does like praying for the saints. But don't, don't let that stop you. Either way, God wants you to pray for them. And God might just use your own prayers to soften your heart. You know, it's hard to be bitter towards people that you're praying for. Well, moving on to verse 3, Paul says that they remember the Thessalonians' work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those three things might sound a little familiar to you, especially if you've been around a church for a while. Love and faith and hope. Those are three things that are in the famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians. And faith, love, and hope were all at work in the lives of the Thessalonian believers, this young church. You might have a Bible with you today that adds some verbs to that mix. Maybe it says work produced by faith, for example. And that's there to help us to see the root of that fruit that's being produced in their lives. The root of the Thessalonians' good works is faith. The root of their labor in the Lord was their love, and the root of their endurance, or steadfastness, was their hope in Jesus Christ. That should be true of every church, faith, hope, and love. All churches should strive to grow in those things. Um, if you're a Christian, think back, me with, think back with me to the days and weeks and months where you first became a Christian, where you first believed in Christ. What was your life like then? I'm sure you can think back to the zeal that you had at first, maybe some excitement, but I'm sure you can also think back to the shaky first steps, your imperfect first steps as a believer, the sin that was still in your life, the habits that you still needed to break. Even though you trusted in Christ, your life was taking time to catch up to your heart. And when Paul is thanking God for the faith, love, and hope in the Thessalonian believers, they were very imperfect disciples as well. They were just a young church. But Paul isn't blinded by all of the things that they still need to grow in. He doesn't ignore those things, 
But he doesn't miss the forest for the trees. He sees fruit. He sees the fruit of the gospel in their lives. And then he tells them what he sees. And church, we can be encouraged and encourage others as well if we look for fruit in one another. So I, I encourage you now, take a second, think about someone that you're close to in this room, somebody that you know well. If you're a guest, maybe it's somebody who's not in this room, I guess. But think about somebody you're close to. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a friend that you're sitting next to. What is a fruit of the gospel that you've seen lately in their life? You don't have to say it out loud. Just think about it. What is a fruit of the gospel that you've seen lately in their life? Try to be specific. Maybe a situation where you saw a fruit in their life. Maybe it was how they responded to criticism from their parents. Maybe it was... Um, Maybe they've, they've grown in their habit of reading God's word and you've seen that. Maybe it's like the Thessalonians and you've seen their patience and endurance inspired by hope during a difficult season in their life. Well, whatever it is, make it a point today or this week to tell them. Say, brother, when I heard how you responded to your angry boss in love rather than retaliation, that was Christ in you. That was the Lord's work in your life. That's gospel fruit. You know, sometimes we aren't encouraged because we're staring at the wrong things. Let's build up others by pointing them to the things that God is doing in their lives. We're well, moving on to verses 4, verse 5. We see some interesting things. Paul says, we know that God has chosen you. Paul isn't trying to puff the Thessalonians up with pride by saying that. He wants them to be encouraged, and he wants them to be humbled, but that the, the gospel fruit in their life is not ultimately from them, that it's God's work. You can even see that in the way that the Thessalonians responded to the gospel, right? In power and the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, It's a sad thing, but sometimes, maybe often, when the gospel goes out, it doesn't produce fruit, right? We share the gospel, we preach it, and we don't see the harvest, even though we've sowed the seeds. Sometimes it goes out in word and power, but the soil isn't ready. Maybe the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted this person. Maybe the ground uh, is ready. Maybe God never will soften their heart to the gospel, what makes the difference in the end is not our eloquence of speech. It's not the intelligence of the listeners, how smart they are. The difference is that some people ultimately are chosen by God. Maybe that sounds discouraging to you at first. Maybe it makes you wonder, am I chosen by God? What if I'm not chosen? Or how do I know if I am chosen? Well, the answer is that the same way that Paul knew the Thessalonians were chosen. He looked at their faith and he looked at their fruit. Look at some of the evidence that Paul points to in this chapter. He points to good works produced by faith. He points to their love and their hope. He points to the way that they received God's word. He points to their patient waiting for Christ's return. He points to their imitating the Lord and being like him. If you're struggling with assurance of your own salvation, it's helpful to ask yourself if you see any of these things in your life, things like these. And do you believe that, you know, the good news that Jesus Christ was not just a historical figure, but that he was God's own son? Do you understand that it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and die um, for our sins to satisfy God's wrath? If you want to be among God's elect, you need to believe the gospel first. So ask God for a soft heart to believe the gospel. And if you do believe the gospel, think 
what does gospel fruit look like in my life? God's given you the church to help affirm your election, to help affirm that God has chosen you. And without the church, I'm not really sure how you can have much assurance, actually. It's God's um, secret choosing. You know, we don't see the letter E written on anybody's forehead. But with the church, we have believers around us who can affirm our confession of faith. They can see the fruit in our life, and they can call us out when the fruit doesn't match our confession. The church is is a means that God uses to help assure us of our election of God. Um, so if you're here today, you're, maybe you're struggling with assurance, reach out to a Christian friend and ask them. Ask them for help to think about these things. One more aspect about God's election, like I said, we don't know ultimately who's chosen. It's God's secret choosing. And so that means that we should preach the gospel to all people. And we should be as persuasive as we can. If you remember... In Acts, when Paul preached to the Thessalonians, it said some were persuaded. It said he reasoned to them from the scriptures. We should do the same thing because we don't know who God's chosen and the results are ultimately in his hands. So we preach faithfully and God is sovereign in the choosing. That was true with with them in Thessalonica when they preached to the Jews and in the end, Jews and Greek men and women believed. And it's true for for us as well. We should be faithful with the preaching and God will be sovereign with the choosing. So be encouraged when you see gospel fruit. Gospel fruit means that God is at work. Okay, point one was the longest point of the afternoon. The other two are a little faster. They'll go hand in hand as well. The second point that we should see in this text is be imitators in verse 6. Be imitators. Look at verse 6 with me. It says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Of course it makes sense to imitate the Lord, right? He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And he accomplished all of the work that God the Father gave him to do. He prayed that in John 17, we heard recently. And if Jesus was perfect, it makes sense for the Thessalonians to want to follow his example and imitate him. But maybe it seems a little bold of Paul, Silas, and Timothy to put their names there right next to the Lord Jesus, right? Follow us and follow him. Should be maybe a little more distance. But let me ask you, how do you think that the Thessalonians followed Jesus' example. How did they know what to do? They had never met or seen Jesus in person. They didn't have a New Testament in their Bibles yet. They just had the Jewish Old Testament scriptures. The way that they imitated Jesus was by following the teaching of the apostles and the example of the apostles. Paul writes a very similar thing in 1 Corinthians 11.1. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Or in other words, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. You know, we're, we're all imitators by nature, aren't we? God made us that way. Um, if you've spent any time around toddlers or little ones, you know this to be true. They pick up on just not, not just the things that they hear you teach. They pick up on the things they see you do. And uh, maybe after the service, if you see kids running around, um, it's not too difficult to think about who their parents might be because they act like them, right? Maybe not in every way. Uh, another way that I'm sure all of us, especially if we've lived in Dubai for any amount of time, have experienced imitating others Uh, is when we spend time with people from different cultures. Um, This is especially true if you ever go to somebody's home. Uh, Maybe you walk in the door and you're not sure if you should take your shoes off or not. You do what they do. Maybe you're not sure, or maybe you're having a conversation, I guess, and you pick up on a certain head nod. Um, Maybe 
you're having food that you've never tried before. This happened to me uh, just a couple of days ago. Um, we had some friends over and had breakfast, and I was trying Russian pancakes for the first time. And on the table, there's these thin pancakes, there's some uh, raspberry jelly, some sour cream, and I knew that they all had to be combined in some way. I didn't know the ratios. I wasn't sure exactly how it worked. Uh, but I had basically three options, right? I could, I could just go for it, just hope for the best. I could ask my Russian friend for help, and he could teach me how to make it. Or I could just sit back and wait and watch him make his own and follow his example. The point is, we can learn and grow a lot by following someone's example. And often we can learn more than just by instruction alone. You can see maybe how it's easy to go wrong with only instruction or only example. But that's why we should give thanks to God when we have godly examples to imitate. When we have people that we can look to and imitate their lives. I'm sure that um, whether you know it, know it or not, right now in your life, you're imitating others. It's in our nature, like I said. But I want to ask if you're making an effort to imitate Christ in others. Or are, are you letting other things influencing you? Take just a moment. Think about the influences in your life right now. You might spend 40 or 50 or more hours per week at your job depending on your job. You likely spend hours and hours with the people that you live with, with your family or your housemates. You probably spend some time watching movies or reading books, swiping through social media. You spend, if you're here now, you spend maybe a couple hours at church, some hours reading the Bible. All those things, each of those things, are changing you over time. And the amount of time you spend is a large component of that. But it's not the only thing that influences how those things change you. Concentration also matters. So time and concentration. If you know me, you should know that I love to dye Easter eggs. Um, you take a hard-boiled egg and you put it in a cup that has food coloring and some warm water and some vinegar. Uh, and you, you know, turn the eggs different colors. It's just a... It's kind of a silly tradition, but I've always done it. I've always loved it. And there's really two ways that you can make a really vibrant and colorful egg. You can either set it in the water for a long time, maybe an hour, um, or you can add some more food coloring, and then it'll take less time. So with a little concentration, you can do more with less. And it's, it's a little like that in our imitation with Christ. It would be really hard for us to spend the majority of our time with godly examples. Um, even just with our work and our sleep, you know, we're, we're doing other things. But even if we can't spend the majority of the hours in our days with godly influences, what we can do is be intentional with that time that we do have. We can make those few hours count. And I want you not to miss the opportunities that you have when you're with other Christians, when, you, when you're with other believers. One great way to do this, I think the best way, is just by asking questions. Maybe someone says a certain thing when they pray and you notice it, you could ask them why. Maybe somebody doesn't blow up in anger in a situation where you think that you would. Maybe you can ask them how they kept their calm. Maybe it's a question that you had during your quiet time. Ask somebody about it. Talk to them. The point is, we want to be imitators of Christ, and we can, be, we can grow in being imitators of Christ through imitating others. Looking back at the text, uh, just real quick, I just want to point out the specific way that the Thessalonians were imitating the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy and the Lord. Look in verse 6. They received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. If you remember back to Acts 17 when this church began, they were certainly afflicted. Uh, but they weren't afflicted into sadness, right? 
their affliction led to joy. And Paul is saying that the way that they were able to do this is by following his example. They saw Paul limp into the city, beaten and afflicted for, from his time in Philippi. But you know what they also saw? They saw his joy. And Paul taught them to look at Christ's example in affliction as well. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at God's right hand. The specific way that the Thessalonians were imitators of Christ was in their joy through affliction. And we should be imitators of Christ in that specific way and in every way. We should be growing in Christ-likeness from one degree of glory to another. Uh, let, me, let me say one more thing about being imitators. It's a gift of God to have examples to imitate, but inevitably our examples will fail us. If you've been a Christian for a while, that's probably been your experience. You've, you've been failed by somebody's example. What do we do when that happens? Or what do we do when somebody sins against us or sins against somebody else? Let me encourage you to remember two things. Remember, one, it's inevitable because of sin that we will struggle with sin until Christ returns. And two, remember that our hope is not ultimately in them. Our hope's in Christ. So even if it feels like your lifeboat is sinking, like your example is failing you, remember that, that they were never meant to be your Savior in the first place. Christ is our Savior. And when we imitate Jesus, when God empowers us to do that, we can stand back up and we, we can forgive those who are supposed to be our examples. We follow and imitate broken and sinful people as they follow Christ, but ultimately we follow Christ. Okay, we've seen what it looks like to be encouraged by gospel fruit, to be imitators of gospel fruit. Let's consider, lastly, what it looks like to be examples of gospel fruit. Look with me at verse 7. The Thessalonians who were imitating the Lord, became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Remember, Thessalonica was the capital city of that Roman state or province called Macedonia. And the, the state or province just below them was called Achaia. So what Paul's writing here would be maybe similar to saying, Covenant Hope Church became an example to all the believers in the UAE and Saudi Arabia. Something kind of like that or name any other church in this region. Uh, this is the only time in the New Testament that a whole congregation is presented as an example for other churches to follow. And their response to persecution was so exceptional, so un, you know, unexpected, surprising, that the word got out, not just to Macedonia and Achaia, but to the whole world. The word sounded forth. And that word here, sounded forth, the word is literally the word echo. So if you've ever been somewhere that has a good echo, it's pretty fun. Um, you know, you, maybe you're in a canyon in Oman, and you, for some reason, usually you shout the word echo, which is a little redundant, but you shout echo, and you hear echo, 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 repeating and repeating. Well, the word about the Thessalonians was doing the exact same thing. It was echoing from town to town in a sort of godly gossip. And as people followed their example, what they were really doing was following the example of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, which means they were really following the example of Christ. Well, what does that mean for us? It's just the next iteration of what we've been seeing. Look for gospel fruit in others, imitate gospel fruit in others, and by so doing, you become an example of gospel fruit to others. Think again uh, back to the way that you spend your time, the hours in your week, hours in your day. Time at your job, time at your home, 
time on your phone. And all those things are being influenced. But in all of those same things, we have an opportunity to be an example, don't we? Ask yourself, what kind of man am I proving to be among those who I work with? What kind of example am I leaving for my housemates? You know, when, when we take the name Christian, you're inviting the world to look at you as a kind of little Christ. Are you giving them a good picture of what he's like? The world can't see Jesus in flesh until he returns. But they can see us. They can see you. Are we giving the world a good picture of Jesus Christ in our lives? Um, kids, if you're a kid and you're here, let me look at you for just a second and tell you one thing, just for one minute. You don't have to be old to be an example to others. And you know how I know that to be true? It's because I have a little brother. And we got into all kinds of things growing up, a lot of things I'm proud of, a lot of things that I wish I could go back and change. If only I knew that his little eyes were watching me and imitating me. And I know, kids, that some of you have younger siblings as well. You have classmates. You have friends. You can show them what Christ is like by the way that you live. And you can show them what Christ is like by forgiving others like Christ has forgiven us. Well, another way for all of us to think about the echoing of the Thessalonians' faith uh, is like the ripple in a pond when you throw something in it. The ripples kind of extend further and further. The reach goes farther and farther. When Paul arrived in Thessalonica, think about how weak he was and how small that church must have been. And yet God used them in a powerful way eventually to capture the world's attention. Have you thought lately about the kind of impact that we could have on the world for Christ? I believe that God can use us in a powerful way to bless other churches. And I also think that God can use us in a powerful way for the gospel to reach the ends of the earth. God can use even our church. Since the beginning of time, God has planned to draw the nations to himself through the gospel. Uh, the Bible is filled with examples. Once you start looking for it, um, you'll never, you know, you'll see it all over the place. You could even just flip to our bulletin and see the scripture readings, examples of God's plan for the good news of the gospel to reach all nations, for the, for the nations to come to him. That will happen. God will reach the ends of the earth with the gospel. And the way that he's going to do it is through local churches, through churches like ours. And if you haven't thought about it lately, we have a very unique and really incredible opportunity just by nature of where we are, where we live, right? In Dubai, we have an awesome opportunity to reach the nations with the gospel. And in, in a lot of ways, our city is like Thessalonica. We're a port city a place where people come to trade, to do business. And the kind of reach we have here is likely far, far greater than we could have in our home countries. I could talk to people from 10 different countries today, and it probably it wouldn't be very hard. You know, and I could speak to them all in English. There's not a lot of places I could do that. So let's let the gospel ring out in our lives and through our church. How do we do that? Well, we definitely need God's help, don't we? We have no hope without the help of God. So let's pray for God to help us see opportunities to preach the gospel, to share it with our friends, family, neighbors, others. Pray for, pray for those opportunities. Those opportunities are there, actually. We just need eyes to see them. And then pray also for God's grace to live in such a way that the nations take notice that they see the joy of Christ in our lives.
We need the Lord to produce gospel fruit for the sake of the gospel. Uh, One commentator says, while many in modern times will feel hesitant about directing attention to their own lives, it yet remains true that no preachers, no one who preaches the gospel can expect a hearing for his gospel unless it is bearing fruit in his own life. Unless it is bearing fruit in his own life. So let's pray for God's help to preach and let's pray for God's fruit in our own life to accompany the gospel message to reach the world. Well, maybe you're here today and you, you don't know the joy of following Christ. Maybe you, you only came because a friend invited you or maybe you noticed some Christians and you, it, was, it was unique to you for some reason and you wanted to find out more for yourself so you just came to church. No matter, no matter why you're here, I can tell you with confidence two reasons God brought you here, and that's to hear the gospel and to see it in the church. To hear the gospel and see it in the church. And the gospel, the word gospel just means good news. And this good news is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's the same gospel that Paul preached to the city of Thessalonica. And the message is that God is the creator of all things, and he created all of us in his image. And God is holy and perfect, and he made us to be in a loving relationship with him. But as we all know, we're not perfect, and that's a result of sin, of the fall of someone named Adam in the beginning. And so rather than being like God, we were separated from God because of our sin. And not only that, not only were we separated, we were destined for God's punishment. It's what we deserve. God is holy, and we can't be in his presence because of our sin. But in his love, he sent Christ in our place as a substitute. Paul argued to the Thessalonians that it was necessary for the Christ to die, to suffer in our place. And he did that. And he didn't stay dead, did he? It wasn't possible for death to hold him, but he raised Jesus from the dead. And now, we must respond to that. Everybody in the whole world needs to respond to that message. It's offered as a gift. It doesn't cost anything, but it requires a response. When the Thessalonians heard the message... Do you know how some of them responded? They did the same thing that every Christian throughout history has done. Look at verses 9 and 10. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, Jesus who saves us from the wrath to come. They turned and trusted. They served and followed the Lord And they waited for Christ to return, to see him again. So I don't don't know what your idols are today. The things that you find your purpose in, the things that you want most in this life. But if if you see the faults in them, if you turn from them and trust in Christ, you'll have life that lasts beyond the grave. And you'll have joy that will carry you through any difficulty you face. Today could be the day that you give thanks to God for gospel fruit in your own life. Today could be the day that you sing the words from your own heart, the words of the song, my heart is filled with thankfulness. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again, who crushed my curse of sinfulness and clothed me in his light and wrote his law of righteousness with power upon my heart. Paul's heart was filled with thankfulness for the response of the Thessalonians. And how did they do it? How, How did the Thessalonians respond in this way to affliction? How did they leave such an echoing example of gospel fruit 
for the world, even to us today through the Bible. It's through God's gifts of faith, love, and hope. And I don't know if you notice the connections between verse 3, where those things are introduced, and the last two verses. There's work of faith to turn from their idols and produce good works in their life. There's labor of love to labor in loving service to God and his church. And there's steadfastness of hope to patiently wait for his son from heaven and endure trials of patience. And I think there's a reason that Paul saves hope for last. The order of those three things are different than they appear in some other places in the Bible. And I think the reason is because it's a theme of what Paul wants to say to them, and it's also a theme of the Thessalonians' lives. They had their eyes fixed on heaven. They were assured of Jesus' return one day. And church, let's do the same. Let's look to heaven, especially as we endure trials. And one day, our tears of affliction will turn to tears of joy. And until that day when Jesus returns, we can give thanks to God for gospel fruit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for the work that you're doing in the world and the work that you're doing in each of our hearts. God, give us eyes to see your fruit in each other's lives. God, please give us strength to imitate Jesus and to do so as we follow godly examples. Lord, we need your help. We need grace to be godly examples ourselves. Lord, help us to do it. In all these things, we know that you're sovereign, Lord, and we pray that you'd give us patience to wait for Jesus, whom you raised from the dead, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen.